Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Project Egg Show. Today, we have the honor of being able to speak with Bobby Umar, an inspirational speaker, coach, and one of the most prolific advocates of heart-based leadership in North America. It's incredible because Inc. Magazine actually named him one of the top 100 leadership speakers alongside such noteworthy giants as Richard Branson, Brene Brown, John Maxwell, and Robin Sharma. Bobby's a five times TEDx speaker and one of the top social media influencers in the world with over half a million followers. He's been named the second best business coach to follow on Twitter and the fourth best leadership influencer according to Cred. Bobby's an author of three different books, including an international number one bestseller, and he's a frequent Huffington Post contributor and the host of a weekly tweet chat called The Power of Connection that has reached over 65 million impressions weekly. To date, his social media influence has garnered over 1 billion, with a B, impressions. Bobby, that is a very impressive resume, along with tons of other things that I didn't even get to mention. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It is truly a pleasure to be speaking with you. Thank you, Ben. I'm delighted to be here and uh, excited to uh, share and help people. Fantastic. So uh, before the interview started and, and went live, Bobby and I were talking about, um, you know, giving something away for free and, uh, you know, really teasing it up for, for you beautiful ladies and gentlemen so that y'all would stick with us all the way till the end. And there is absolutely a freebie that will be available to you at the end. But you got to stick all the way till the end because we'll tell you what it is and how to get it. So with that being said, Bobby, let's jump right in. What is your story? So my story is that I was a lost leader. I was, I was someone who felt lost and stuck in the field. So I started out my career in, uh, in engineering because I was good at math and physics. And my dad's like, well, be an engineer. It's a good, it's a good job. But I did that for several years and I felt lost i felt like i you know i didn't enjoy it i wasn't having a good time i wasn't passionate about my work and so while i was there i decided to start a musical theater company started producing directing musicals and i was like well that's weird i think i started on the side i started building that up and so i was getting involved in performance and things like that but it wasn't enough to fulfill me because i felt that it was just too much work too much stress for what i was trying to do and the impact i was having so then after that i did my mba and i went into um, brand marketing and again, you know, that was really great in many ways, but I was working 80 hours a week and I didn't have a work-life balance. And again, I felt kind of stuck. And so what I can tell you is that my story is all about feeling lost, stuck, unfulfilled in my path along the way. And I finally, you know, at the age of like, I forget, was it 35, 36, 36 years old, I finally decided to dive into my personal brand to figure out what I want to do, take ownership of my story and my path, to find my own uh, values and success and what it meant to me. And that's when I decided, oh, you know what, what, what's perfect for me is what I'm doing now, which is to become a professional speaker uh, and coach. And I've been doing that ever since. And I haven't looked back. And so that story is taking me uh, along the way in terms of four different career paths, but it also allows me a chance to understand that everyone is going through the same stuff. We all, you know, follow a path of success defined by the people, whether it's our parents or our corporations or society. We all feel lost in our job sometimes because it doesn't align with our values. We all feel stuck or fulfilled because we create a narrative for ourselves that it's not the best one for us. And, uh, you know, my message for the world is to let people know it's okay to feel this way, but it's not okay to do nothing about it. And that's why I'm here. And so that my story has taken me to that journey. And, over, and in the last 10, 15 years of speaking, it's been great. I've traveled around the world. I've uh, spoken to five TEDx t talks. I've been able to help. Uh, thousands, if not more, people with uh, you know my messages, my stories, and my impact. And I think that's been really great. And now I'm continuing to do uh, continue to do a lot of stuff on social media with, uh, with with Twitter, LinkedIn, my Patreon page, all of my communities that I have to really give people content and give them some inspiration to help them uh, you know build better lives, better businesses. Let's jump back into your your childhood. Oh, okay. <laughs> what did it smell like? What does it smell like? <clears throat> I'd say it smelled like two things. One, it smelled like the amazing cooking of my mom. So my mom was an incredible cook. 
she is, a, I mean, she is an incredible cook, I shouldn't say, she's all around. Uh, but uh, she was the type of mom that was so good at cooking that all the other moms would invite her to cook something for their, their parties. And she would always do it. And that, that's how good she was. And so I remember the smells of curry and, and, and rice and, and all the stuff coming from the kitchen that was always there. I'd always come in and I'm like, oh, mom, you're cooking this. And like, she's like, wow, the nose knows. And, and so that's it. And then the other one would be uh, trees, like nature, the smell of trees in nature. Because I grew up in a small town, a lot of trees, a lot of forests where we would walk around in the woods. And I really love nature. I really love you know, water, trees, grass. And so for me, that smell also is something that when I think of my childhood, that's what I remember. I believe you mentioned that you were, you grew up in a small town. Yeah. What was that like for you and how did that shape your identity from a young age? Yeah, so I think one thing that the small town piece uh, taught me was uh, being aware of uh, my own diversity and my own background. Because the truth is I, um, I, uh, I kind of blended in and I was always good at blending in with people. But at the time, you know, there wasn't very many um, minorities in the area that I lived in, but you know, I definitely was aware of the fact that I was. And so uh, learning to blend in and integrate as opposed to being insular and exclusive in my own kind of, you know, group, I, I think I thought I realized it was important to really integrate with everybody. So for me, that was a, the big thing. The second thing is just the idea of, we took pride in the fact that we were very friendly folk. You know, people from a small town, oh, we're all friendly folk, and I know that person down the hill and down at the house, and, and that's how people are. Um, but I take that to heart. I take that to heart in terms of being a good neighbor, being a good community member, being a good, you know, uh, friendly person. Because uh, people, and no matter how how uh, how bad my day is, whatever it is, you know, there's no reason for me to be rude to the grocery clerk or be rude to some of the street. Like, just be nice. So I'm always I'm really big on the kind of the the, the small town community kindness that I espouse even when I talk to half a million followers on social media or even when I talk to a crowd of a thousand, two thousand people when I speak. So that to me are probably the two biggest things. What was your relationship like with your parents and how did that evolve over time? <clears throat> well, that's a good question. I would say that my relationship it was uh, rebellious. I think that's probably the biggest thing I can tell you. Um, uh, I was, uh, I was a, I mean, I was, I was, a, I was a smart kid, you know, I, I got great grades and I skipped a grade and, you know, and I was, I was my family's most, let's call it quote unquote successful child in terms of my grades and academics, um, which was good because it gave me a little bit of freedom, but it also created situations where when my parents said stuff that I disagreed with, even when I was seven, I would call it out. And it got me in trouble many, many, many times. Um, so, and then later on, I became even more rebellious in terms of uh, where I want to go to university, what oh, I want to switch careers, uh, and then I wanted to marry my wife. And uh, you know, she's she's Caucasian, so uh, that was a huge, huge deal. <laughs> so, all those different things, um, you know, it definitely affected the way uh, I was with my family. Um, at the same time, there was also a fierce loyalty and love with the so like I'm very loyal to them and they're still part of my life and they're they live near they live close by within you know less than 45 minutes away and so we still spend a lot of time together so um I, they, they've affected my life well in the sense of I definitely appreciate the importance of family and, and and being close to family as opposed to being far away like I never would want to live in Australia and they live in England and someone's listening in Canada like I wouldn't want that for for my family I think it's good to be really close close together or at least gather together and then the other thing, the rebellious thing, that really turned into the whole idea of standing up for what I believe in what I, and what I'm all about. Because, you know, my values are different than their, theirs. I mean, there's some, there's some that we share, like family, for example, but there's ones that are different. And so I have to stand up for what I believe in for myself, my wife, my children, um, my lifestyle, which is a little bit different. And so that rebelliousness has turned into standing up for myself and what I believe in. And so that's a big piece of who I am. I'm definitely type of person that stands up for what I believe in, whether it's you know, socially, business, politically, I'm very big on that. As you were growing up and, and maturing, what were some of the activities that you found yourself participating in voluntarily? Um, hmm. Well, I mean, I was always the, <laughs> it's funny, I, I was always the person who would facilitate activities with a bunch of kids. So, okay, so guys, let's just, okay, let's play hide and seek. 
here's what we're gonna do. Okay, here's the rules. Boom, and I, I would explain the, the rules of the game, whether it was hide and seek or tag or some other new game we're playing, and we would start playing the game, right? Whether they're older kids or younger kids, that would be. So I was a bit of a facilitator even back in the day. I think that's probably. And sorry, was it, repeat the, the the question again. Yeah, just what activities did you like to participate in? Yeah. Like, what were your hobbies? So that that was one thing, and then I definitely loved. Um, I love playing sports. I played baseball, hockey, football, hockey every day outside. I, always being outside was a big, big part of my life. Uh, I definitely got into move. Uh, really got into pop culture, so movies and music like all the time. Then later on, I got into musical theater. That became a huge part of what I did. And then the other one that I never noticed was entrepreneurship because when I was a kid, and I, and, and reflecting now, I can say, oh, that's so obvious. But back then, I didn't realize. But I, you know, I would be the type of kid that. Come up with come up with like, come up with an idea like we would um, we would collect raspberries you know in the, in, the, in the woods and then we decided to start selling them door to door to people because we collected for them and that was entrepreneurial. When I was in high school, I did this thing called junior achievement where you go in grade 10, 11, 12 and you start your own companies and I loved doing that. It was so much fun. Uh, I really enjoyed that. Again, didn't think of myself as an entrepreneur, but I clearly was into that that kind of stuff. So I think the entrepreneurship thing was always there too, which is which is kind of interesting. But I was always into things that had to do with people. I was uh, I was always into things that had to do with uh, I love board games. I still do um, strategizing and thinking, collaborating with people, like um, all that kind of stuff has been a big big part of you know what I was doing growing up. So those are some of the activities I was involved. I was involved. I mean, I was the truth is I was involved with a lot of stuff. So it's kind of like then that led to the whole jack of all trades master of none issue that I had later on. I definitely involved myself in a lot of things, both my family, with my friends, and at school. So it seems like some of the recurring themes here are um, people and and facilitation, and and then you also mentioned board games. Yeah. Why do you think those three things really stood out, and where do you think the uh, uh, like the the passion for those came from? That's a good question. I'm not sure. I mean, uh, I think that the people thing came from my parents. Um, both my mom and dad were extremely social people. So my mom was the social butterfly of the entire community. She was the one that everyone would call for advice. Uh, I remember when I was growing up as a kid, you know, she was always on the phone for a couple hours in the morning because all her friends were calling her. Uh, and my dad, same thing. We'd go to a party. It would be a party. He would be the social guy telling jokes and, you know, getting along with everybody. He would, no matter who you were, he can get along with anybody. And uh, I was, so I think that they definitely influenced me in that sense, uh, in terms of the, uh, the people thing. Facilitation, I think that's a natural thing. Like I think, you know, leadership is something that we're born with, but also something we can acquire. But I always was a natural facilitator. I was always naturally good at with people as an extrovert. And so it was just something I took on. The, the ability to facilitate and be a leader was something that was always there with me. And I, I don't, I, I, you know, most, there was hardly any followership. It was mostly leading stuff uh, for the most part. So I definitely, that was a natural thing. For me. When you were making the decision to leave high school or, or uh, graduate from high school mm -hmm. and deciding what you wanted to do next, what was that decision-making process like for you and how did you ultimately uh, decide like what swayed you to decide on the path that you went into afterwards. Well, at the time, I, I can tell you that I, I did it wrongly, but um, because you know back then I wasn't thinking about it. I mean, that's why my message for many people is to dive in your personal brand and know who you are and define your own path of success. But at the time, uh, my father influenced me in terms of saying that you know you need to get a job like a doctor or engineer type job, something professional. You know, use your brain, okay. But, you know, for me, the, the, the main thing I had chosen was uh, I had chosen uh, science and engineering because I was good at math and physics. Like math and physics were things I was good at. I mean, I liked it too, but I didn't realize, you know, did I, did I like it enough to do it for my whole life? I, I loved it. I, I got great marks. And so because of that, I chose initially to go into uh, engineering uh, for university. Um, I did a couple of those um, career choices types of analytical programs. And... What was interesting is when I did that, I got zero results. Uh, yeah, it was fascinating because the counselor, the, my, my counselor in high school was like, that's weird. <laughs> it's like, what? Like, I have no path. What do I do? Because like, it was based on like 15 different dimensions of, you know, uh, 
work and the things you care about. So we said, let's take away a couple of dimensions and then see what we get. And then zero results. Then we took away a few more, zero results. Then, then we, we got down to eight out of the 15 dimensions. And then the list of like 60 jobs showed up and they were all over the place. Like uh, engineer, psychologist, uh, salesman, farmer. Like it was just, it was just so crazy. They were so diverse. Um, so, and I didn't, I didn't even think about, What's the connecting piece of those? It, and it turned out to be people. Every single one of those things had to do with people. Uh, I wasn't seeing that. I was only thinking about the math and physics. And so I went into engineering. And so that's kind of how I, I chose. The other thing that affected my path was because of my marks, I got scholarships. And so the, the place that offered me the most scholarship was kind of the place I decided to go because, you know, I just kind of, oh, money, wow. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 17. Like at the time, I was like, wow, money. And my dad's like, wow, money. So like, he's like, we should go there. So that's kind of, that's kind of how it, it all came out. What do you think were some of the biggest um, takeaways from being an engineering major and going down that route? Well, I think the biggest thing I took from engineering and I take today is problem solving, right? So one of the biggest things with, with engineers is problem solving. So identifying the issue analyzing all the great deep analysis and all the key aspects of the problem, which also fits with my whole chess player thing. I was a big chess player. So I analyzed the 10 different moves, you know, 10 moves ahead, all the different possibilities. So the problem solving aspect of engineering is something that I take with me today. So in any situation I come up with, I'm like, always oh, okay, analyze the situation. What are the different possible variables and what are the different ways we can go? What are the, put, how do I, how do I evaluate uh, the feasibility of those potential solutions and then I make a decision. So when I make a decision on something, I've thought about probably more than I think a lot of people when I, when I talk to them, they haven't thought about all the different things. I've thought about a lot of different variables when I make my decision. So for me, the problem solving piece has been really great from the engineering days. When, when you were getting ready to start your theater project, um, what really gave you maybe the inspiration is the right word, but, but the, like the push to do it. That's a good question. You know, a lot of people don't ask you that. Um, and the, the truth is it was, uh, it was a pain point. I, I had been, um, I'd come back from uh, university and I started doing theater shows. I started auditioning for musicals and I did, I did three of them and every single one of them just annoyed me. There was just so much pain with how it was run. And I just didn't like it. There was all this, there were cliques and there was misinformation and there was like, I just, I just didn't like the, and uh, I was just very disjointed. And I was like, you know what? I think I can do this better. And again, the leadership thing facilitation comes into play. And then I found a guy who was also really awesome as a musical composer. I said, let's listen, let's do our own thing, man. Like, let's just do our own thing. Cause this is, let's take everything that we hate about what we've seen and let's just do our own thing. And so then we launched our own thing and then did that for four years. And, uh, the, 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 the beginning of it was, yeah, the pain point. It was just so annoying and painful to, to deal with these different organizations and how um, just how bad they were in so many different ways that uh, it inspired me to you know, do something better. You know, we typically will do things because either a pain point that is bothering us that we want to move away from or a bliss point that we see is so amazing we want to move towards it. So for this one, it was the pain point that like, man, these musical theater companies are terrible. Let's do our own and let's just let's do it the right way. When on the uh, on the chronology did you? I believe you said you got your MBA. When did that happen? Uh, parallel to all these other things. So I worked for four years as an engineer after I graduated university, and then during that time, I had also started the musical theater company. I ended the job and I dissolved the company at the same time. I was like, now nah, what's next? Like I don't even know what's next. I've had a lot of different periods of transition in my life, so this one's like. What do I want to do next? So four years of work, and then I didn't want to go back to the same job. And other jobs wanted me to start the entry level. I was like, there's no way I want to start entry level. So then people had suggested the MBA. I hadn't been thinking about it, really. But then, uh, then I did the GMAT, and I got a really great score. I was like, wow, okay, that's cool. Because uh, the truth is, uh, four years of engineering really disillusioned my, my mindset. I didn't do it very well. I wasn't in my job. And in and, and university, too. Like university, um, the truth is, I, I felt I wasn't smart anymore. Um, in high school, you know, I was, you know, super smart, got scholarships, but university, you know, I, I lost my scholarships. I you know, didn't get good grades. I scraped by to, you know, with a really low GPA. I wasn't really top of my class or I was really bottom half of my class. 
And then when I worked in engineering, I also felt like I wasn't the best at what I was doing. And so I had a really low, intel- low opinion of my intelligence at this point. Um, you know, it, it beat you down after eight, eight, nine years, right? And, and then I remember in the gym, I was like, wow, that's a you know, top like 96 percentile score. I was like, wow, that's pretty good. And then, and then I did my MBA and then all of a sudden, wow, okay, now, uh, and then I, I got straight A's and I was valedictorian. So I'm like, wow, okay, so I'm, I'm smart again. But it was a big shift for me because I was feeling, I wasn't feeling very smart anymore. So the MBA thing happened after that. And it was a really, it was a very transformative experience for me. It was really, it was, it was like Bobby getting his mojo back again. That, that's really what it was. Cause I was like, wow, okay. Cause I was also leading, cause I was president of the MBA association. So I, I started getting leadership again. I was getting good marks. I was feeling confident. It was, it was like a rebirth. So uh, I love that, that uh, part of my life. When you were going through those eight or nine years of, it seems like really not in the, not in the optimal space, not in, not in the right space for you. Um, it, it seems like in, at that point, that's when the biggest need for change is, or, or, or that's when the biggest need for change was. So for somebody else who may be in that funk, may have lost their mojo, you know, for, because uh, I think mojo is a great word. Um, uh, you know, how, how, can, how can you provide, you know, advice for them to where they can get out of it? Like, like how, how do they, one, recognize that they're in it? And two, how do they pivot out? So number one, it's very difficult to recognize that you're stuck in that narrative. It's very difficult because narratives are powerful. We create them to make us feel better, right? So I'll be like, you know what? Yeah, my job's not that great, but you know, I'm just grateful that uh, you know I've got a, I've got a, you know, I've got a pay, I'm getting paid, and I live in a nice apartment, and I have a girlfriend. Like, that's fine, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't try to improve the job. Or you know, hate my, uh, or uh, you know, love my job, but you know, life at home is really stressful. I don't really like it. And, you know, I'm not going with my girlfriend or my wife. But again, you should you should try to fix that. Or or even worse, hate my job, hate my life at home, but thank goodness for you know hot yoga or rock climbing working out um you know we create these narratives they're very powerful things to get around but i think the general thing i would i would say is uh, that feeling you get up you have in the morning right so in that morning are you excited about your day and it doesn't matter what day it is monday tuesday monday friday but also saturday sunday are you excited about your day and how you feel about that day because if you wake up on on saturday and you're just grateful that oh my gosh it's not work that's telling, right? If you wake up on Monday and you're like, oh God, work, that's telling, right? So that, or, or, or leaving work, oh man, I gotta spend the weekend doing all that stuff, that's telling. So it's a feeling, you have to understand that feeling. The second thing that you can do is to really, you know, personal branding is great because the whole exercise of personal branding is to ask people in your network very specific poignant questions. So I would ask like my five best friends, do you think what I'm doing is the best thing for me? What do you think I would love to do? What are my personality traits? What do you think, what are, describe me in three words. <clears throat> so if I'm an engineer, for example, back in the day, and I went to all my best friends, they would say, Bobby, you're, you're, the three best words are, uh, you love people, you love to have fun, and you're very creative. And so then the question is, where the hell does engineering fit in this thing, right? Because if they told me that back in the day, I would say, oh, okay, that doesn't really fit with what I'm doing. So the so two things is to really understand how you're feeling at every part of the day. The second thing I would say is that you really, you should actually do a personal brand process to ask people and get feedback and, and you'll be surprised. You might be surprised with the results. Now, how do you pivot? Well, the pivoting is where, you know, that's the harder thing, but to dive in your personal brand to understand, you know, where you think you're most aligned is very, it's very uh, great. Uh, it's a great, it's very insightful because then you can see all the different ways in which you could go. Like when I did it, I had five key personal brand elements, uh, people, diversity, nurturing, persuasion, influence, and performing presenting. And so that would lead to about 20, 30 different paths. But the one I chose was professional speaker. Uh, and it got me really excited because everything aligned very, very well. And I haven't looked back. The other thing though, is you need to get a support network. So that includes your friends or at least the people who support you, because there are going to be, be people, including your friends and your family who are naysayers. And you can't turn you can't turn them. They're like, why would you want to leave a stable job? Why would you want to like? And part of it is because they're they're expressing their own fears, their own insecurities, their own narratives. And you have to you have to ignore those. You have to find the people who are willing to support you. That includes friends, family, 
but also, you know, getting advisors, mentors, and even maybe hiring a coach to help you transition out of where you want to go. Because you're always going to have doubt. You're always going to have fear. You're always going to have your mindset telling you what you should do or can't do. And I just spoke to someone right before this who was like a seasoned 20 year professional and she's having doubts. And like, and she's like, we all have doubts. Like I still have doubts and that, that's okay, but you have to find a way around. So if you want to transition, you need to have that support network. And then the third thing I'd say for transitioning is, you know, come up with a plan. Don't just like, you know, say, well, in your head, ah, maybe I'll do this, maybe that. But a clear plan with a timeline and goals and milestones and measurable metrics that you're going to achieve. Um, that's, you know, you're, you're failing the plan is planning to fail. So putting that plan together and writing it down is more likely to lead to your success to, to actually implement. It's interesting when you talk about those questions, those personal branding questions to really dive into your own narrative. I'm, I'm curious because how do you know whether the people that you're asking these questions to, how do you know if they're really seeing the full picture? Like, like they may be saying something, but you might be feeling something different on the inside. Like how do you, how do you reconcile that? Another great question. So that's really the personal branding process that, that I do and I, I, I coach others on. Essentially, there's three ways. One is you do your own self-assessment of everything, skills, interests, values, personality traits, all that kind of stuff. Number two, you get the assessment of others because, and you make it broad. So you talk to your boss, your people under, under you, your family, your cousins, your friends, like very diverse range of people. Uh, and then the third thing is uh, online assessments. So you do a couple of um, you know, computer personality trait programs. And how you reconcile is that once you have all this information, then you start to see the threads, right? So every single person in my network said Bobby's a people man. Every single computer assessment said Bobby loves people. My own personal assessment says I love people. And so right away, boom, that's empowering because, okay, you know what? People is definitely one of the things. Now, if half my network says I'm analytical and the other half says I'm not, and you know, one computer assessment says I'm analytical and the other says I'm not, I'm more big picture, then that's not really as compelling. So you do that whole process to validate and reconcile what are the ones that are really, really uh, coming together. It's, it's also similar to like, you know, my, fi uh, my fitness health journey. I'm always trying to get fit and eat better. And everyone gives you advice, you know, you need to go low carb, gluten-free, keto, and dude, dude. And everyone gives you conflicting advice. But then at the end of the day, what is the thing that everyone's saying? Everyone says, drink lots of water. Okay, got my water. I'm going to drink it, right? Get more sleep. Okay, I will do that. Right. But only one person said keto and one person said, you know, intermittent fasting. Another person said, you know, gluten. That's not as compelling. So you can start to see, uh, you can reconcile the key threads that are part of what you should do. So let's talk about once you had finished your MBA, what was the, you know, and, and it seemed like at that point you were, you were really diving more into your personal brand. Um, what were some of those actionable steps that you took in order to really launch your personal brand and take it to that next level? Hmm. Um, <clears throat> well, actually, to be honest, I, I don't think it was there yet. I spent four years in brand marketing and I loved it because of the people uh, and I loved it because of the you know, influence of persuading people. So the marketing piece was kind of there, but um, it wasn't there yet. So what I can tell you is that after four years of that and working 80 hours a week, I realized that, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to build this. Build, I don't want to build someone else's dream. So after that, then the next transition was like, now what do I want? What I really want? I've done engineering. I've done performing arts. I've done, you know, brand marketing. What's next? So then that's when I, I dove into it. And so in terms of the actionable steps, as soon as I had an idea of what my plan was, which was to become a professional speaker, that's really where it all came then I had a very, uh, I basically, uh, I, took, I took a program actually that helped me. It basically helped me align um, my business plan. So I put together the strong business plan. I reached out to a bunch of people and I shared my ideas of what I want to do and how I want to do it. I did a ton of surveys and got a crowdsourced a lot of information. So I spent about three to six months on this to really get a ton of information about what I'm trying to do to build the case. I mean, some people, they just launch their business, they go. I actually did a little bit longer. Three to six months is what I did. Uh, and then I put together a plan and putting together a plan is good because then you can see people will question you on it. They will, you know, they will challenge certain things. And, and, and for me it evolved. like there was one part that I had my plan that I eventually said, you know what, I'm going to let this one go. 
it's not going to fit. Uh, I need to focus more on these other two areas I want to focus on. And so <clears throat> for me, doing the plan and then getting a couple of mentors and coaches were really the key steps for me to, to launch my business. And then the other big thing that I think a lot of people are scared about is they spend too much time learning, 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 but you have to like put stuff out there. So I finally was like, okay, blah, here we go. Okay, here's what I'm doing. So I sent an email to like 3,000 people. I sent a brochure to 500 people. I said, here it is. I'm starting this. This is it. And and that was, and then once that happened, the calls and the emails started coming in and, uh, and I never looked back. So when when you were figuring out your coaches and, and mentors who you actually wanted to get advice from yeah. what process did you go through to really vet them and make sure that they were the people you actually wanted to learn from well the number one thing is really about <clears throat> excuse me um you know who do i want to be like so i think about someone that i want to be like in five or ten or twenty years uh, and then that, that's a big thing. So, you know, one of my mentors, you know, well, he's, he's really funny. He's a great speaker. He's a great host. He has insights. He engaged people the way that I want to engage people. He sounds like a great mentor for me. And so that's kind of the, the person I reached. My, my first mentor actually was a successful speaker. So, and, and, and again, you don't pick them right away. You have a couple of meetings, you talk back and forth and see what they can give you. And are, then you have to assess in terms of, are they totally honest with you about stuff or are they just BSing all the time? That, that's a big thing. Cause some people, you mean, they're like, I just find that I don't find the authenticity. I, I find a little bit more BSing. I, I, I prefer people who are honest, uh, honest, but supportive. Um, people who are willing to be completely transparent. So one of my first mentors, he wasn't as transparent about his struggles. Um, but another person, my other mentor, he was, and I was like, well, that's really great. Cause you know, everyone struggles at every, at every age of their life. So for me, that was, a uh, getting that was really important. I, I spoke to many people. The other thing that happens is that when you're out there networking, you meet lots of people and some people who you don't expect to become mentors just end up becoming that way because you've had lots of conversations. Um, but there's two parts. One was a targeted approach to find the right person. Another one is being mindful of people you connect with and going deeper. And next thing you know, uh, after three or four conversations, you decide, Hey, listen, can we formalize this into a uh, mentorship arrangement? where I see you every, every quarter, every, every six months, and it evolves that way. So you, you should always be, always, always be networking, always be connected. At ABC, always be connected. Always be connecting, and that's, that's part of networking and why it's so important to me. Uh, but because you never know who's going to show up and become a mentor for you, or, or someone who you might mentor, or, or some sort of business possibility. So uh, for me, that's kind of what I did. Once you sent out those brochures and those emails, and you put it out into the world. I am a speaker. Yeah. Yes. Uh, what what steps did you take to start amplifying your reach and your brand? Um, well, the first thing that I started to to amplify things was with social media. Uh, I recognized that social media was kind of here to stay. I'd been on, you know, Facebook for two years. I'd been on LinkedIn for several years, and it seemed to be a trend and then all of a sudden, you know, and then all of a sudden there's other ones like Twitter and Instagram, whatever. But at the time I was like, okay, these are, these are here to stay. And so I need to leverage this. And so I tried to understand how social media worked and I realized that um, anyone who's a speaker and anyone actually who's an expert or a thought leader in their field has to, has to create a brand or themselves. So I was talking about branding and personal branding. So how do you create a brand? Initially I was saying branding was about networking, right? But I soon realized that it was more than just networking. It's, it's more than that. And so, I started creating content. I started blogging. I started doing videos. I started doing uh, podcasts. I started doing, trying to get, trying to get seen as much as I could. I started tweeting. And so I, I put together a social media strategy around what I was trying to do because I had a certain message for the world. And so by doing so, uh, I wanted to get the word out about what it was I was talking about. Because if people are going to come hire me as a speaker on the same expert in networking, they're going to want to know, well, what does he do about networking? Does he have a book? Okay, so I wrote a book. Does he have any blog posts? Yeah, I have blog posts. Right, I have to post about networking. Like, you know, like I started doing all that stuff because I knew that they're going to want to know, where's my cred? Because I didn't have the academic cred. Like, I wasn't a certified coach or speaker. I wasn't a certified networker. I had an MBA and I had an engineering degree, right? And those were in the past. I had to create a brand around, a thought leadership brand around who I was. And so 
doing the content, doing the books, doing the articles, doing the speeches and, and panels and stuff, what, built a thought leadership right around who I was. So that's really how I built it. The social media was really, for me, the biggest key. Um, the, other, the other part is really the relationship networking piece, which we've already talked about, but that's also something I did to really build up uh, my profile and get uh, more leads. When you were building your social media strategy, how did you balance the time it takes to do that right and the rest of your life in your business? <laughs> well, one is integration. Can you integrate your life and, and integrate social media into it? So for example, if I go to speak somewhere, then let's take a picture and then post it, right? So that's an integration piece. Uh, so I'll go speak at an event and then I'm coming back on the train or something, I'll just post about it. Or, or even during it, I'll sometimes would post. Here's a live video of me doing this uh, networking type of thing so integration i think is is one thing the second thing is yeah you, as part of your plan you have to allocate how much time you're going to give to it now depending on your job or your, your career or business sometimes you want to spend more time on it so being a speaker would i think you should do more if you were doing some very specific tech thing like let's say you just make apps then it wouldn't be so much it, it's, you still have to do something right i mean and it doesn't take that much time uh you know and, and the other thing you think about is your platforms. Like who's, your, who's your target audience? Where are they, where are they playing? <clears throat> Excuse me. If you're like a baker or you're a fitness person, then Instagram's got to be part of your social media strategy or, or even Pinterest for that matter because visual is a big part of it. So you have to decide where, also where you want to spend your time. Some people just pick one platform if they don't have the time. I, I chose three. I had ch at the time, I had chosen Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. This is before Instagram was really big. So I, put, I chose those three, and that's kind of where I was doing it. Other people are just picking one, and that's fine. Um, so I, I, was, I, I, was, I was targeting about 10 hours a week of my time to do it. And the other thing that happens, too, is then you start to see what, what picks up, what flows. And I can tell you that after launching my Twitter strategy, my Facebook page, my newsletter, and every, everything else, the thing that picked up first was Twitter. And so within six months, I had about 5,000 followers, and then next thing you know, Someone said, hey, we love what you talk about in terms of leadership. Can you come in and do a session for our volunteers about engagement? I'm like, yeah, sure I can. And I was like, wow, I got a gig right off of Twitter. That was amazing. And so I realized, okay, this is working. And so Twitter took off, and that's where I spend most of my time in terms of building it up. Uh, but now I'm spending more, more of my time on Instagram and, and uh, LinkedIn. What are some of the things that when you look back, you're really, really glad that you did? I'm really, really glad I got fired from engineering. Um, that was that was a really good one. Like I, I don't, I don't talk about, it, but I, I basically let, let go after four years. And man, because I, I, I was young and I could have been stuck there for ten years. Man, that was there for four years. I'm glad that happened. Uh, and then the second thing I'm really grateful for was actually, um, it's funny. It's funny. Gratitude is so weird. Uh, and when I launched my corporate or when I left corporate and launched my, my own speaking business, uh, two things happened. One was I became diabetic. So I, get, I got sick, had an anxiety attack and I, I was feeling, uh, ill and sick. And so I went to my, I went to my employer saying, look, I have diabetes now. It's really, it's really hurting me. I need to scale back. And, uh, they weren't supportive. And I was like, okay, you know what? Uh, and then, and then two months later, my wife almost died of E. coli, which was crazy. She was in ICU for a week and I had to take care of her. And it just really gave me a lot of perspective. Like, wow, this is crazy. Like, how do, do we want to spend our, our lives stressing about for this, these companies for all this time? And they're, I mean, they're support, I mean, companies are supportive up to a up to a point. At the end of the day, they care about the bottom line. So like, you could be amazing at your job. You can love what you're doing. You can be delivering, but if the bottom line is affected in a way that they don't want, you're gone. And so for me, that's when, that's when it really started to take shape. I'm really grateful that uh, my wife and I had these health situations that made us question what we want to do with our lives and start building a life that makes more sense for us. And I think that was something I'm really grateful for. Parallel to your business journey, what's been going on in your personal life this whole time? Well, the personal life, uh, I think the two biggest things, of course, are my kids. So I'm a really, I'm a huge parenting advocate. They're, they're 10 and 8, and they're amazing. They're the, the, the loves of my life. Um, I'm a huge advocate for parenting, particularly when kids are young, because this whole idea of, you know, building your, your business and your career and becoming the next vice president or getting an extra $20,000 raise 
or even your business, like building it to a point where you're, you know, a multimillionaire, whatever it might be. It's nice, but it's not that important. The most important thing is your children need your time. That, that they're going to they're gonna grow up and say, was my mom and dad there for me? And I'm, I think my, my kids will say, yeah, d- daddy was there for me. And that to me is the greatest legacy I'll ever have. So I'm really a huge, huge parenting advocate. Um, when, when my kids were born, I didn't, build, I didn't spend that much time on business. In fact, my business launched the year before my first son showed up. And uh, I, you know, I was like, a, I was like a, you know, they say in the beginning, you got to be a 60 hour a week entrepreneur plus, right? I was a 25 hour a week entrepreneur. I was really being a dad and, and having fun with the babies. And I ne- I'll never, even though it slowed my business significantly in the beginning, I will never regret that. So for me, parenting is a, is a big piece. And then the second thing is the health journey. So <clears throat> diabetic, uh, <clears throat> I also have challenges with binge eating and food addiction. And so uh, food's been, trying to lose weight has been, it's been a big part of my health journey in the last five, six years. And I'll admit, I struggle, you know, like I think I'm, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, I have different waves, different waves on the, on the roller coaster of life. I'm kind of, I'm more on a lower end right now than on a higher end, I would say. Uh, but it's always there. I'm always mindful of it. And one of the things I know about fitness is that it affects everything, your health. Like ultimately at the end of the day, a better you is a better everything else. So if I can be better with my health and better with my fitness, uh, then I'll be better as a dad, better as a friend, better as an employee, better as a leader, better at everything. So for me, that health thing is, is a big part of my life too. So we've talked a lot about how you've gotten to where you are now. Um, but can you take a few minutes and really brag on like how far you've come? Like how high up the mountain have you climbed? What have you truly accomplished that you're the most proud of? Wow. Um, oh, I think that for me, the mountain, gosh. Um, I think, I think number one, I think I'm an amazing dad. I'm an amazing parent. I completely am involved in their lives. I, I take care to nurture and guide and support and all that kind of stuff. And I think that ability to be like, you know, I think I'm a world-class parent. And if, uh, and if I, and, and having done that, I'm able to really help them. Number two, I think uh, I feel confident that I'm a world-class speaker. And, uh, you know, I've been able, with, with my ability to speak, I've been able to help transform people's lives and give them advice and content that, even when I do little videos, like one short, one, two minute videos, I still think it helps because I get messages saying more. So for me, I think that's something I'm really, really proud of. I'm proud of the impact I've had as a speaker. And then I think the third thing is, it, com- it fits with parenting, it fits with speaking, it fits with social media too. But I've learned to be extremely, um, I want to say, I want to say uh, grounded, calm, but empathy. You know, I, I don't, I don't yell at people. I, I calmly help people out. People come to me all the time. Like one of my friends, you know, she came to me because she had major crisis advice at her work and deal with some mental health issues. Another person came to me with major marriage problems because, because, and I, they always come to me and I'm not, I'm not even in their circle of their five or 10 best friends. But then I say, why are you here? And like, well, you're just someone I trust, Bobby, and you're someone that gives me advice that I know that I can count on. And and I do it based on empathy, and I do it based on being calm and not getting caught up in biases, not getting caught up in, in everything. Like even when I get trolls on Twitter, because I get them all the time, they tell me horrible things. But but having that grounded, empathetic, kind of loving nature, I think, is something that I think has helped me tremendously. I'm very proud of how I'm able to deal with that, no matter what comes my way, whether it's, you know, my kids getting my case or my parents getting my case or work or college or clients. And there's a lot of stress in the world. There is like, you know, don't get me wrong. I, I, I sometimes get bummed out by certain things going on with various things, politically, socially, whatnot. But I think that I also have a grounded, calm way of looking at it and seeing, and seeing if there's something I can do about it. I'll do it. I'll talk about it. Uh, but I think that empathy and that groundedness is something that I think is probably one of my best legacies right now because I still have a whole life to go, but I'm already like pretty zen and that's good. Where do you see yourself five, 10, 20 years down the road? Well, number one, uh, you know, uh, healthier, you know, I have, I have a vision for myself. Uh, actually it's about, about 10 years from now, 10 plus years from now where 
I'm climbing up Machu Picchu. And I've already done this vision exercise. And, you know, this, this completely gray-haired man <laughs> who's fit shows up. You know, there's a gray-haired lady. That's my wife. And then these two strappingly beautiful, you know, an, an 18-year-old and a 20-year-old, you know, my 20-year-old son and my 18-year-old daughter. And they're beautiful and they're healthy and we're vibrant. And that whole vision of being healthy and climbing Machu Picchu and taking that, you know, the selfie at top of Machu Picchu with the, with the villages below. Like, that's, that's, that's a great goal for me. I love that. That one's really awesome. Because it, it, it basically encapsulates my health journey and my parenting life because at that point the kids are now adults and they're going to go off on their own lives their own journey so i, I love that one um <clears throat> the other one the other one for me is um from a business perspective <clears throat> excuse me uh, helping a lot of people with you know having you know i'd like to see some of the communities and programs that i've done so my speaker mastermind program my patreon page uh, my uh my master video program all those those programs are you know, have been used by thousands and thousands of people and have been able to launch their careers or their startups or their speaker businesses and take them to, to success and fulfillment. Um, you know, and, and, and the world has more fulfilled, aligned people that are not following a path defined by other people. So for me, like, it's just more about doing more of that. And you'll note that I don't even uh, relate it to money. Uh, you know, money is nice, but like, um, I mean, if you ask me if I could get, you know, a million people to, you know, watch my content and feel inspired to make a change in their life and I make, I don't make anything from it. That's great. That would be amazing. I would be so happy to hear that, uh, to have a, have an audience or followership that I've been able to impact that to me would be amazing. So, um, those are probably the two things that I'm, I'm looking at, uh, you know, in terms of the next, the next 10 years are about my family, my health. And then for my business, I'd love to see, just more scale because as a speaker, one of the things that, you know, you speak and you get paid, you speak and get paid. So it doesn't scale. If I get hit by a bus, it's over. So I'm actually working on creating scalable ones. I'm building communities and building programs like the ones I mentioned to, to try to create that scalability for myself and for my kids. So we don't have to worry about certain things. So that's kind of, that's kind of where I'd like to be. When, when you think of connection, yeah. what is your philosophy on building deep meaningful and genuine connection with another person uh great question and you know i'm all about the power of connection and that was my first tedx talk i think that the general way to create deep connection is to number one understand yourself so understand who you are what drives you what are your motivation what your values principles things like that number two from that can you then determine what do you genuinely care about in terms of life and in people and then three, when you meet people, really take the time to invest in who they are, understand their beliefs, their values, their, their, their brand, and ask really genuine, deep questions that are brave and bold. You know, don't ask just the big, so what do you do? What's your job like? Where, where'd you go to school? No, no, ask about really deep questions. In fact, you've done some really good ones. You know, talk about your childhood, talk about your parents. Holy cow, like, these are really deep questions. Um, I would actually ask the deep questions. I would say, look, like, you have to take that risk to ask the deep questions. And more importantly, share vulnerability on yourself because the more you share your own vulnerability, the more likely they're going to be willing to share their vulnerability. So, I, so I'm openly talking about my health struggles. I'm openly talking about my struggles in my career and, and, or even as a parent because we all have that. We all have those challenges. And I think by being vulnerable, being open, you're going to create a, a more deep, profound connection. And finally, Connection doesn't, connection takes work. It doesn't happen right away. You have to follow up. So if I have a deep conversation with somebody, I need to follow up and continue the conversation, have another conversation and keep going because it does take work. Once you get to that point where you're like really deeply connected with someone, then it's great. Then, then it's like, you, you could have a year go by and it wouldn't matter because when you see them, you're like, oh my gosh. But getting to that point where you've established this incredible trust, this incredible you know, bond with somebody, it takes work. But when you get there, it's amazing. And so I think all of us should be continually working to build deep relationships. And on that point, you're going to find people where it's not happening. Uh, in fact, I was talking about this just earlier with my wife today, where she has some friends where it's not working out for, even though she meets them for coffees and lunches, whatever. And she's thinking of just letting that go. She'd rather spend more time with the ones that are turning into something. And I agree. I think that, uh, you know, I, I meet people for lunch and if it's not going somewhere, I need to create more space and focus on the ones where I feel like I'm getting far more value and far more from them because that's to me far more fulfilling for my life 
than the ones who just talk about surface stuff like you know sports or the basic news or other people. When do you feel that somebody else is doing a really good job of connecting with you? Like, and, and, and it might be very similar to what you just said, but you know, when do you feel the most connected to other people? Um, so I'd say um, three things. So one is they ask me questions about myself. You know, I'm, I've spent a lifetime asking people questions, but most people don't ask questions back or don't reciprocate. It's just, it's just the way they are. And that's fine. You know, the, I'm very proactive. I'm very uh, extroverted. And so I'm, I've been doing, been doing this for years. So it's very easy for me, but they don't ask questions back. So when they start actually asking questions, that gets my attention. The second piece is, uh, do, they, um, do they share their own kind of stuff? Because um, if they don't, right away, it's, it's not going to work. Like if you're not going to share any of your, your, your challenges, flaws, crisis, dark moments, whatever, it's going to be less of a connection. The ones who actually are willing to do that, uh, that really also gets my attention because like, wow, okay, this person, and, and not, not, in the, not, in the, not in the way of like a rant, you know, like ranting about life. It's about saying, well, you know, here's something I struggle with. And they share something to make me feel better or to make me feel supported or, or connected. That to me is, is amazing. And then the third thing I'm going to say uh, <laughs> is my wife uh, has, she's now an entrepreneur, so she's learning this too. But she's like, wow, she's like amazing. Most people don't follow up. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Like, um, I can tell you, honestly, even from my close my close circle of friends, let's say 50 to 100 people, my closer circle of friends, people just don't follow up. They don't proactively reach out. I'm the one who's almost always reaching out. So what gets my attention is when a friend or a good friend proactively reaches out saying, I want to see you. I want to spend time with you. I want to, uh, uh, like I, I, I have some friends who I think are just really amazing, amazing people. And I've dedicated a lot of time to interest them. But it's weird. Like uh, there's a few, like in, in 10, 15 years, they've never come to like my birthday party, even though they live right downtown. Like I understand people are busy and have lives, but can't you come once? I mean, if you had one, I've been to your birthday party. Like it's, it's a, it's a weird thing, but there's certain people who just don't do that. They don't follow up. So uh, even among my close friends. So what, what really gets my attention are the ones who, uh, and it's rare, the ones who actually follow up with me and want to spend time with me and invest in me and, and invest that time. That to me, yeah, it was great. Like the, uh, a friend recently messaged me. She lives like about an hour and a half away, but says, listen, I'm coming to town. I really want some time with you. Like, okay. And that's good. I love that. Another friend who actually lives in Senegal and, and she's coming into town in, into the country and she's messaging me on WhatsApp. I want to meet with you. I'm like, like, that, like I love that. That's such loyalty and connection that it makes me want to go to the moon for that. So that really gets my attention. What's your greatest theory? Theory? Yep. Theory. Theory. Oh my gosh. Um, hmm. <laughs> I've never had that question before. Um, I mean, I have theories on lots of things. I have theories of life and things like that. Um, uh, hmm. Man, I don't want to be stumped here. I mean, I have lots of small theories, but I mean, you know, the, the there's theories of life that, uh, you know, I follow or adhere to. Um, a lot of them have to do with what I call the power of connection. So years ago, I started this thing on Twitter called the power of connection rules. And I came up with 350 rules that I just kind of started putting out there. But the one that uh, I think is really interesting is that every single connection that I make, when I, no matter how far apart you are, no matter how much time has gone by, when I meet someone, one of my theories is if you can treat them in the same way, in the same manner in which you felt the deepest, most profound connection with them in your life, they will reciprocate. And it's amazing. So there's one friend of mine who I hadn't seen in like 12 years. And then, but I remember at the time we were like, we were, maybe, and we were super close friends and we had this most profound conversation. And so in doing so, one of the things I did was before I saw them, I sent a message saying, hey, remember this? This is one of the most amazing times I ever had, I had with you. And I, and and when I see you, like, this is the type of person that I remember you as, even though I haven't seen you in 12 years. And then when I saw them, finally, uh, they were in Europe, I greeted them in the same kind of manner and affection and love that that moment 
had taught me. And as soon as I did that, amazing. She completely, she completely melted, and we had the most amazing two days of conversations and discussion, just like the old days. And that theory for me is great. Like you can, and you can do that with anybody. Because you know, if you're feeling like, let's say you have an argument with your dad, or your, because I had a fight with my dad last year, I have to think about the best times of my dad. And when I see him again, you know, I still have to process those emotions of getting over that argument. But if I go back to the original thing, does he listen, Dad? I appreciate you for this, this. Remember this memory we had? Okay. And then when I see him, big hug, and it, it works. It actually works 99% of the time. And so for me, there's a that, that's a big theory of connection, which is you know, treating people. And remembering that the best moment of connection you ever had, and when you see them again, uh, it can really uh, make a big difference. So, Bobby, I want to thank you so much for coming on the interview today and and sharing this time with me and and uh, being willing to go deep and, and talk about all these things. It's truly been a pleasure. Um, I have uh, two more quick questions for you, and then uh, let's wrap up and tell people about that freebie. Um, so the first one is, is there anything about yourself that you think is an important part of who you are that I did not ask you about today? In other words, what did I miss? Mm. I think we covered quite a bit there, uh, Ben. Like that, was, that was quite good. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think you did a good job. I mean, you know, because we covered my interests and things that I'm doing. I mean, the only, I think the only thing I will say is that I'm very political. So that's something that's a big part of me. Um, although what I, a lot of people talk about politics, but like, or people say, I'm not political, but I'm like, look, if you care about your health and the health of others, if you care about kids, you care about education, you care about, you know, life as we know it, you care about the planet. Like there's things we care about. We care about money. We care about, like, we all care about things. So I think everyone should be political at some point because we all have things we care about. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty political in that in terms of expressing values of particularly fighting like, uh, social inequality and justice. Uh, I'm big on diversity, big on things like that, uh, big on fairness and trying to fight hypocrisy and ignorance and fear. So those are things that I'm really big on and that's, that's uh, something that's important to me. I'm 24 and I have a couple businesses, yeah. but you know, and I, and I say this all the time and I'll continue to say it because it's very true, but this show is absolutely my greatest passion. I can tell. N knowing that, what question should I be asking you, you specifically, somebody with your experience, with, with your knowledge, with your gifts, what question should I be asking you that I just wouldn't think to ask? Well, you really ask, uh, well, first off, you ask very, very interesting, insightful, tough questions. Um, but you wouldn't think to ask. I don't know, because I think you've done a really good job of uh, covering all the bases. Um, so it's kind of hard, hard to say. Um, you know, maybe, and you also even went personal, which is quite, quite interesting. Um, it might be interesting to talk about questions like, uh, we mentioned fears. You mentioned uh, maybe talking about regret. That's something that it's, it's, interesting, it's interesting discussion. Talking about um, work-life balance, how to figure that out. Uh, talking about burnout. I think that's another really important thing. So those are some questions that might be interesting to dive into or to ask about. Um, yeah. So Bobby, again, I want to thank you so much for coming on the interview today and uh, I really do appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks, uh, Ben. This is really good. I love what you talked about, and I've been really enjoying this conversation. Thank you. Absolutely. Me too, my friend. And to everybody who's listening, watching, I want to thank y'all so, so much. Y'all are the reason that I do this, and, you know, I love y'all and, um, you know, your support and, and um, you know, coming back and listening and watching. Uh, you know, I, I I really can't thank you enough, so. Thank you. Um, yeah. So Bobby, you want to, uh, you want to talk about the freebie we have for him and, um, and then wrap us on up. Sure. So, I mean, <clears throat> the freebie I have for people is, um, so I have a couple of programs, networking mastery. I have a, a speaker mastermind program. I have a Patreon page where I share insights with the community, but my speaker mastermind is a 12, it's a 12 week program, but the first program, the first module training module is called networking, why networking and how to build a winning mindset. So for everybody here, I want to give everybody a free copy of this training. It's an hour, about an hour long. 
Um, so I want everyone to have a chance of uh, seeing that one totally for free. And uh, if you like it, uh, that's great. You can, uh, you can find out more about my Patreon page or on Facebook or LinkedIn, but uh, I want to share that with everybody. And uh, at the same time, if you only want, want to contact me, my website's called rayallen.com. And uh, I'm everywhere on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, you name it. I'd love to hear from you and see, and see you guys. If you have questions, you can ask me uh, across all those different channels. Fantastic. And, you know, I really want to stress the importance of networking and mindset because what we've been talking about, you know, a lot of the, the foundational pieces of your career, it seems like came from networking and mindset, right? Being able to network and surround yourself with impactful people, being able to have that foundation to go and ask the questions to understand your personal brand and dive into and explore your own narrative. And then to have the mindset to be able to say, Hey, you know, the, this engineering thing isn't working out for me. Like I need a change and to actually like have the mental fortitude to go through with it and to make that life change, to make that pivot, to get re-energized, refocused. So it seems like those two are really some concrete building blocks to your success and I'm very appreciative of you offering that module for free because I know how much work goes into producing an hour of content. It really does take a lot. So I appreciate you giving that away for free. And I want to encourage everybody to go to projectegg.co slash Bobby to go and pick that up. Y'all, it's going to be awesome. So thank you again, Bobby. Thank you very much. Everybody's listening. Thank y'all. Let's rock it. Let's change the world.